0: This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast. With the diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today, we believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. Shemayne Tan, a very warm welcome to the Women Speak Cyber podcast. We're so thrilled you could join us today. There is so much to unpack from your amazing story. So welcome to the
1: podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Really excited as well.
0: So Shemaine, um, I've been following your career for a while. We originally met on LinkedIn, but I read your incredible book, which we'll talk a little bit more about a bit later. But for those that don't know you, would you mind sharing a little bit about your journey?
1: Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people know me for maybe more of my role as Perversex Chief Growth Officer. So I currently lead our outreach strategy, which is aimed at helping C executives achieve value preservation and business growth objectives with cyber risk management. So it's a very fascinating role because I've had the privilege of seeing the bird's eye view, you know, of the industry landscape and cross-sector challenges, you know, what works, what hasn't worked, And this makes my role really meaningful in being able to educate, raise awareness and foster collaboration within the ecosystem more effectively. So there are people who see all the glam and the glitter, but honestly, the journey I've taken to get here hasn't been a conventional one. So maybe I'll just rewind a bit. You know, I started out with a bachelor's and honours degree in computer engineering. Then I went into executive level recruitment for a number of years. And that really helped me understand the talent resource and how people fit into the wider strategy. You know, especially if a CIO is looking to build a center of excellence and intelligence hub for a global bank. And then I moved into the advisory space, specializing in cyber risk, looking after Asia-Pacific relations before ending up in my current role today. And along the way, I found a cyber risk meetup back in 2017, which is a meetup for industry experts to exchange experiences. So we now have over 5,000 people in terms of security professionals across five cities and three countries. So that includes Australia, Singapore, and Japan.
0: That's incredible. Because the last time I was reading about cyberus meetups, I think you had 1,800 members in two cities. So now you're in five and you've got 5,000. That's incredible growth. How did you get that started?
1: Wow, I think it just started out with a passion to learn, right? I really wanted to bring like security leaders together. I feel like there's a lot we can tap into in terms of their experiences, and in terms of the role we do, we are also busy and we don't really have time, right, to meet and leverage off the expertise of others. So that's where the idea came about. Like, why don't I bring all of them together, and together we can grow as an industry as well. So that's how it started. And I never expected it to just, yeah, explode in terms of growth. And, you know, we have a lot of lovely volunteers that, you know, raise up their hands and say they want to get involved. And that's how they started also running their own chapters in, for example, Japan in Tokyo and then like in Perth, because I can't be there, I'm based in Sydney in different parts of the, yeah, different parts in Australia.
0: So, Shemaine, when you started that meetup, did you always chair those sessions? Was it you who kind of did all the speaking for those sessions? How did that work?
1: I'm just trying to remember because it was back in 2017. I remember like I was still really new to the scene back then. So I actually had to reach out to mentors, you know, people who have done this, they have more experience. And they actually showed me the reins of how they go about to organize these meetups. What I did was facilitated the session and hosted it. So I was doing more of an MCing. And then I gave the opportunities for the more experienced thought leaders to be the one to actually share their experience. So for quite a number of sessions, I was just mainly emceeing and introducing the speakers. Later on, you know, more opportunities came, and then I got involved in moderating panels. And then eventually, it just led to me creating my own content as well. And then, you know, started to give talks, and after that, giving a keynote and things like that. So there, there was a progress, but it took a journey to get there. And thinking
0: back to the first Cyber risk meetup session, how did you feel going into that? Can you take us back there?
1: Wow, well, yeah, lots of uncertainty. <laughs> <laughs> It is quite scary, you know, like uh, you don't really know what to expect and you are taking a chance of stepping up in the space of this, because this industry, the cybersecurity industry is very closely knitted, right? And I mean, there's this fear, like if you're trying to organize something with the best of intentions, but, you know, it doesn't go well, you know, you don't want to waste people's time as well. They're going to take out time to attend such sessions. So you really want to give them the most value. You want them to get the maximum out of it. So I think there were lots of thoughts that were going through my head. Yes, it was really scary. There was fear. There was uncertainty. But I think when I look back, I'm so glad that, you know, I took that chance and took that risk because, yeah, it has gone so far since then.
2: Clearly, it's resonated. I kind of get what you're saying about that hesitancy and that nervousness because I know when we first launched Project Friedman, the first time we were like, is anyone going to apply? And we were just blown away. And then this year when we did it again, we thought, well, you know, we had 30 applications last time and then we got close to 60. So clearly when you find that right niche and that right market, people are obviously finding value. So amazing. I haven't been to one. Do you have any up here in Brisbane?
1: So actually, Brisbane was a sixth one. So we actually had one in Brisbane for a while. That was a chapter lead. I was running it, but because of some career change and progress, you know, in their, yeah, and family stuff. And so they had to step down. There were two of them. And then COVID happened. So we didn't have a chance to bring that back again. We had to make available the content to those who are in Brisbane via like virtual sessions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, let's see what happens next year, maybe when life returns to normal, hopefully.
1: (laughs) Yes, definitely not a closed door. You never know. Can we talk about your book next? Because you know, (laughs)
0: I'm a huge fan. I'm going to hold it up. Like I know this is a podcast, but I'm proudly (laughs) holding up my copy of Shemaine's book. And I genuinely refer to it so often. There's so many good nuggets and stories in here. Can you tell us about how you went about bringing that book together because you interviewed a large number of leaders across the world.
1: I discovered that while running the meetups and also like part of my role, what I do on a day to day, I found that, you know, I'm really in a privileged position because I get to meet with C executives. They actually get to share with me, you know, their challenges, but they also get to share their approach to things. And some of them, I just feel like they have so much to give back. And then when I'm meeting like the newer leaders or aspiring CISOs, and they are sharing their their struggles. And I'm like, okay, they should actually be hearing from those experienced folks who have gone ahead from the previous generation, right? And there is that. From what I'm hearing is the previous generation wants to give back and the newer generation wants to learn. But you know, that's where I feel there is a gap because they don't know who to reach out to. And I just feel like maybe I can help to connect the dots for them and also connect the learnings for them. And that's how the idea came about. Like why don't I tap into the experienced people, extract out their insights, put it into a book so that the newer generation is able to also learn and glean from them. So that's how it all came about. So this was back in the
0: world of travel, pre-pandemic. Did you interview people in person mostly, or was it done remotely or a bit of both?
1: So I think back then the world was so connected, right? I managed to meet, like, for example, I want to extract out diverse opinions and perspectives. So I didn't limit it to just the industry, but I want to make sure it's cross-sectors, it's across different countries as well, because we can learn from how leaders are doing it based on different cultural contexts. So For example, some of them based in Israel, but I've had the opportunity to meet them when they were in Singapore. And that's when I'm maybe flying over to Singapore for work. So I've got a chance to really like talk to them in detail. Some of them are from the US and then I would have had met them in Australia or in New Zealand. I think there was President Obama's CISO, Greg Tuhu, and I met him. I was actually reaching out to him and he was in the US and we were corresponding. And then he was telling me, hey, I'm going to be in New Zealand, you know, to celebrate isaka's 50th anniversary. Let's catch up there. And, and that's where I got a chance to meet up with him personally. Wow! So yeah, it's a lot of different yeah stories. So most of them, I managed to catch up with them personally. And just a few, I think, very, very small numbers that it's done virtually.
0: How wonderful to have that opportunity to sit in the room with those people. And you've captured their learning so beautifully in the book. I love the you did what sections in the book. They always made me smile. Is there a favorite from those sections?
1: Well, um, I think a lot of them are quite funny. Like, you know how there's a lot of stories that sometimes they feel embarrassed to share, right? But when they know that it's something that everyone can learn together, and then looking back at it sometimes with humor definitely helps. I think it's great that they were able to share the you did what I'm just trying to remember because it's been a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe people have to read the book. Shall we say that? Because I 100% recommend people read your book because, yeah, and then they can enjoy all the You Did What sections as well. (laughs) I think that was
1: a password story and that one was funny. So, yes, they can go and check it out for sure. (laughs)
0: So, Charmaine, as you know, our our passion is encouraging women in the cybersecurity industry to put their hands up to speak. And whether that is, you know, in the context of their work environment, Within a meeting or whether it's right up to the dizzy heights of, you know, an RSA conference keynote speech or a TEDx talk. And you have such an inspiring journey from a speaking perspective. I think LP would like to kind of ask you about the beginnings of your speaking journey, if that's okay.
2: Yeah, I think we're really interested to know where you started? Because I think everyone remembers their first time standing on a stage or presenting. Are you able to share a little bit about what that was for you?
1: So I think in terms of my first time, the thing is that when it's your first time speaking in a a public setting, you tend to be really, really conscious that there's so many eyes that's on you. You might think that people are judging you. I remember when it was my first time, I was actually most afraid that I will be paralyzed with fear when I go up the stage and that, you know, you will have a mind blank. You might have prepared so much, but then it's wiped out from your mind and you just can't think. And then I think the silence is the most painful part, right? Because you're afraid that during the silence, people are actually judging you. But what I realized was that if I hadn't stepped up to even go up to the stage, expose myself to that public setting right I would have always remained in the hidden area where I'm comfortable but I'm not going to learn I'm not going to actually learn what is it like to be out there to push myself out of my comfort zone despite the fear and despite all my worst expectations the funny thing is that when you actually go out and did that I realized that a lot of it was in my head you know I remember when I my the first time when I did this was actually when I was a teenager (laughs) I remember it was, um, I had this opportunity where someone said, hey, do you want to try and do some MCing? Because we had an MC in the junior college, but I think something happened and that person wasn't able to make it. So they said, do I want to give it a go? And I never, ever spoke in public before. And I just said yes. So I think for me, the first step was saying yes to an opportunity that was presented to me. So I went for it. And Yeah, it was so much better than what I thought. And, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, like, okay, I made this mistake. You know, somebody's going to notice, they're going to, like, think about it. But when I finished the whole experience, people actually came up to me and they were really, really encouraging. And I realized they didn't even notice those mistakes that I was so heavily focused on. And I actually made a funny one where when I first came on stage, I couldn't find my mic. Because there wasn't, so I was walking around the stage looking for the mic, and I was feeling so horrified that you know everyone's laughing at me. But actually, it wasn't. It turns out to be they found it really funny. It was like comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, I realized that you know you just got to be you on your station you know, or be yourself, and if you make any mistakes, you know you're as long as you're genuine, people are not going to remember that they will actually remember more, you know, your message, what you have delivered, if that's something that's impactful for them.
0: That's so true. We had Jane Franklin on here a few episodes ago. She reminded us, when she was in Sydney speaking at a conference, she tripped over on, on her way up to the, the stage. And I said, I don't remember that. I just remember how awesome your speech was. So yeah, it's so true. I think those things, we, we feel them so acutely internally, but you're, you're right. It's the message that people remember.
2: And we're always so tough on ourselves. Like we're always so much tougher on ourselves than the audience will ever be it's something that we talk about all the time it's our self doubt it's our fears it's uh, almost us talking ourselves out of it and then it always ends up working out it always mm-hmm. does and i think that's what most of the project freeman participants last year would have said psychologically they almost talked themselves out of doing it but when they did it the feeling that they had when they were finished and now the confidence to do it again you know it's just changed them so after you sort of did your first one, what were some of the, the learnings in terms of did you get a coach and work on anything or was it just stuff that you worked on individually?
1: I think what I did was after the first one, then there was a really long gap because that was a one-off, right? And I think I went back into my shell, like you know, sheltered zone and I think I, have, I didn't step up for many, many, many years. So cyber Risk Meetup was probably one of the first few, you know, after more than um, a decade, you know, where I decided to give it a go again. What I realized then is that, you know, it's important to have, like, be open to feedback and be active because if you really want to grow and improve, like, you don't want to stay at the same, bring people along with you as you are practicing, do it in front of someone, you even record yourself, right? And then you can learn so much about Your body posture, your your gestures, your facial expressions. And then even like when you get someone along to watch you and then give you feedback, they will be able to pick up things that you might not be aware of as well. So that's definitely really helpful. I think I also tried out Toastmasters. There are some that might work. Like Toastmasters is really great and it can work for quite a lot of people. But there's also some others, maybe smaller speaking groups that are more intimate, that has a different style that might also work for you. So like, you know, Just be open to go out, see what's out there and then learn from the different like speaking groups as well, because they can impart quite a lot. And then for me, like what I I realized also is sometimes I'm too focused on, you know, trying to achieve perfection. You know, you, you prepare your script and then you're so hard on yourself when maybe you didn't deliver it or you missed it out or you didn't deliver it in the way you intended it to be. I just remember every time when I finished it, sometimes I can really be really hard on myself and, and beat myself up in that sense because, you know, I made certain mistakes and things like that. And then I realized it's a very stressful situation to be in. I learned to, you know, not expect perfection because I know that it's not possible. <laughs> and, and also, right, if, if we keep expecting that, you know, you will never even dare to give it a go. You will never even dare an attempt right? So we have to leave room for our unique self and personality and also like not trying to be someone else that you're not because there's only one you, right? So I've, I've learned to come to terms with like who I am, what's my strength also in speaking. And then I can learn from the good other speakers out there, but you know, at the same time, also be careful not to fall into the trap of wanting to be exactly like them because mm. everyone is different.
0: Those are some brilliant tips we hear that time and time again, that challenge of perfection. And I really like your approach to kind of accepting it's okay not to be absolutely perfect, to be yourself and to, and to bring your uniqueness to how you deliver your talks. Yeah, those are some excellent, excellent tips. Thank you. And what about how you prepare today after all that experience you've had with speaking? What's your kind of prep routine look like? We're always really keen to find out.
1: Again, like every prep routine could be different for different people. But for me, I like to prepare. (laughs) So what I would do is like I'll brainstorm on the content, on the message, and then I will list out the different points. What I've also learned is, you know, to focus more on the message and the story that I want to tell. Consider the so what element. Like, you know, every time you're making a point or if you're saying certain things, like why are you saying it? You know, what's the point? What does it mean for your audience? Because sometimes we are very caught up about ourselves. We're just heavily thinking too much about maybe our our worries or how are we going to look to people? How are we going to sound to people? But it's really not about us, but it's more about our audience. And they're actually benefiting so much just by the fact that you're taking time to share your experience and share the message rather than you not agreeing to do that just because you think you're not ready and you want to be perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's focusing on that. So what I'll do is, yeah, I'll come up with key points. I'll practice on the delivery as well. Especially if it's a keynote conference, you know, I would record myself quite a few times and then I'll watch myself on the video or hear myself on a recording just so I can take pointers on what I can improve from. And then that would be pretty much it. Like I also do run past my content with some of my friends or, you know, trusted people. And then they will give me some tips on certain things and yeah just make sure like you know you really just have to practice and it's hard if you're if it's fresh content especially if it's new content and then you're going to deliver it immediately like you know without much practice it's really difficult so like they always say you know to make sure you rehearse it many many times and then at least it's not the first time you're delivering it when you are doing it especially in a public setting that is some comprehensive preparation i would have to say
0: (laughs) Very impressive.
1: We,
2: we find there's kind of two groups. There's people who write out their whole presentation and they have the whole presentation in front of them. And then there's people who just write bullet points um, just to jog their memory of what they were planning to cover off. Which one do you tend to do?
1: <laughs> I think you can tell. From, I think uh, I could probably <laughs> guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I find like my personal preference is I need to write it all down like the structure, you know, of how I'm going to say it. So I, I do write verbatim. But then people have given me feedback that they feel that when I'm most spontaneous mm. <laughs> and I have to think on my feet, that's when I'm the most natural. Yeah, they actually prefer that because they find that it's so genuine and it comes out. So that's why I've learned how to try and strike a balance where there will be some things like if I'm giving a presentation on thought leadership things or there's statistics involved. And of, of course, I will need to memorize those things. But then I'll try to leave room also for areas where I can be more spontaneous. I can prep on those pointers, but try not to memorize them so that at least it comes out more uh, authentic.
0: Yeah, that's a good balance. It's a great balance. We want to talk about your TED Talk. I have watched it. It was so amazing. As I said, I'm a huge fan. So I'm just Yeah, incredibly inspired by you. Tell us about that. How did that come about? And how did you prep? Because that's quite a specific format. And yeah, we're really keen to hear all about it.
1: Mm, Okay, that one is very different. It's different from giving a talk, let's say to you know, the cybersecurity industry, because this is more like to the general public. And TED talks are more focused on like the story, you know, what's the story you have to tell. And they are focusing on ideas as well. They want it to be unique, fresh. So there's quite a lot of different components to it. I would say like how it all came about is the thing is, just wanted to share a bit also that you know a lot of us as adults right even as adults we still go through insecurities you know we combat with the feeling of not being good enough like what LP mentioned earlier as well you know it's not something that we can outgrow as children so insecurity and the imposter syndrome will occasionally still come back for visitations but what I realized is that we can grow and develop in how we think about ourselves and how we overcome these feelings of inadequacy or self-doubt. So when I first wrote the first book, which is Cyber Risk Leaders, and that itself was already quite a scary feeling because you are also putting yourself out there. And you know how we say like words that can't be taken back? Words that are published is even more scary because they are going to be seen by all. Yep. And yeah, you definitely can't take them back. i have written a book, it means that I really believe in the cause, right? And it's about sharing knowledge and experiences of these CISO leaders. And I believe their stories will help our industry. But that also means that I'm opening myself up for even more criticism. So fortunately, like there were a lot of great feedback and I've been so encouraged by, you know, the community. Like Louisa, you're one of them. So really, really thank you for all your encouragement back then. And there I was finally being like comfortable in stepping out of my comfort zone. And then someone told me, this person had really good intentions though, about the tall poppy syndrome, which is common in Australia. You know, he said like, nobody likes the number one. And if I'm, if one poppy rises too high, you know, they should be cut down to fit in with the rest of the poppies. So I was quite disheartened when I heard that, because to be honest, it already took so much to just overcome the imposter syndrome mm. that I had. And then now I have to also think about the tall poppy syndrome. After a while, I just got really tired of just caring too much about what people think and just letting my voice, because I took so much courage to let my voice be heard. And then now I, I have to think, like I have to second guess myself and, and just go quiet again. And then I just decided, you know what, enough is enough. I'm just going to turn any lemons thrown at me into a lemonade. And that's how my TEDx talk was birthed. It was actually birthed because of that. So yeah, you can hear more about, I mean, for our listeners, they can hear more about my journey there. It's called like the imposter syndrome of the tall poppy.
0: It was a fantastic talk. And I love that. That analogy of, yeah, you turning the lemons into lemonade. <laughs> That's a great way of looking at it. Cause yeah, I think one of the challenges that I can speak from personal experience of me actively becoming more visible on, on say LinkedIn and sharing opinions and ideas and articles is, is always been the fear of. Criticism and it's a difficult one because criticism helps you grow. You know, you want feedback, as you were talking about earlier, Shemaine, saying you know the feedback helps you grow, and you want it, you want an honest view of how you've done. But also, just having seen some of the rhetoric and some of some of the way people can speak to each other on social media, it's sort of added an extra layer of fear to putting yourself out there. But I think you have to. Yeah, you know, my grandmother would say, grow a thick skin. That's an old family <laughs> saying, um, but I like the lemons into lemonade. So, you know, even if you do have some of that negative behavior that isn't constructive feedback, let's say that it's just people being quite frankly, mean, yep. then it's, it's just to be able to say, do you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to take that personally. It's not easy to do, of course. But yeah, I, I think I'm going to keep that analogy in my head. Generally, yeah, it was <laughs> <have> a lemonade.
1: <laughs> I don't think the original quote came from me. I don't know where it came from, but it was a really encouraging analogy to draw strength from. End of the day, you can't please everyone, and there will always be, you know, critics out there. And sometimes I also realize that sometimes it's, it's they are scared of doing like they want to do the same thing that you're doing, but they're just scared of doing it, and it's easier for them to comment. You know, but when it comes to their turn, yeah.
2: My mom often says to me, it often says a lot more about them than it says about you. And I think you bang on. I think sometimes people are critical of exactly what you just said, people who are doing what they actually want to be doing. So yeah, we, we certainly, with the Project Freedman Girls, even with this cohort, I know there was a lot at the start that were just second guessing, even, you know, participating. And we had to have a few conversations with them about we picked you for a reason, you are the right person for this. You have the knowledge, you have the skills, you can do this. And it took a few pep talks. But then I think once they found their cohort and they saw that everyone was pretty much in the same boat, they really kind of got that confidence from each other as well. It was nice. We dialed into a call just recently, kind of the midway point. And we were blown away by how connected they were with each other and how much they kind of almost each other's hype girls. Oh, that <laughs> and, is uh, very
1: important. Yes. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. And that's,
2: I honestly think that was the success of our first group. They became each other's and are still to this day, each other's hype girls, you know, even on decisions about changing jobs, you know, life decisions that are going on, they build each other up. And I think that's so important, especially in this industry. Regardless if you're male or female, you need to have that, that kind of group and that support group. We call it our circle of trust. Louisa and I talk about it a lot but just to have that group of people that you can go to, that you can soundboard with, that you know will give you honest, valuable feedback. And I know Louisa, when she went through that, kind of starting to post her weekly updates and her news stories, she was nervous, but she just did such an incredible job. And the feedback that she would get was, you know, people were just actually learning from her. So I'm always so pleased when she, because that's out of her comfort zone for her, as she will attest. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I saw some of the post and I was like, wow, where has she been all this I know. <laughs> it was always
2: there. She just had the confidence to finally do it. Yeah, I was in my shell.
1: <laughs> in my comfort shell.
0: Oh, <laughs> yeah. well,
1: we're also glad that you came out of it. I know.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And that's one of the things we do when I want to get to in in this chat is just talking positively about the public speaking platform because we spend a lot of time talking about how it can be quite scary and challenging, but at the same time it's a really important platform shemaine, from your perspective, what have been the benefits for you of using your voice? We don't say finding your voice because everybody has a voice as Jane Franklin was telling us, and it's not about finding it it's about using it so how has using your voice benefited you, Shemaine?
1: Wow, a lot actually. Wow, i say my life has changed. (laughs) I mean, if I look back, you know, when I was a young little girl, and then I think if I could see myself now, I would never have imagined like what I would have achieved in terms of being able to go for my dreams and being able to see that come to pass. And it all started with as you said, not just finding a voice, but actually using it, right? Because we all have our voice on the inside, but sometimes we let our inner voice drown out our real voice because we are listening to our own self-doubt and stuff. But when we actually have the courage to step up and let our voice be louder than those inner voices, And one thing I just wanted to call out also is like what LP mentioned is very important, which is look at who you are surrounding with, right? There was this time where I joined a speaker's network and I was so amazed to hear their vision, their own dreams, and they really shoot for the stars. You know, when I wrote my first book, I thought, okay, that's it, you know, that's my biggest dream I've done and all that. But being in that network and speaking to them and I realised no some of them have written like 7 books 10 books and I'm like wow and to hear that they are even going further and they are also encouraging everyone else in that network to go for their dreams I think it's really inspiring and it Mm. just shows maybe we talk about tall poppy syndrome but we can all actually be tall poppies together right and just help each rather than cutting people down but we actually help each other grow taller and together we can really reach for the skies off the back of that just um, using my voice. I would say there's a lot of benefits. Uh, One of it would be, yeah, I've been inspired to write more books. So my second book is already coming out in November. Wow. (laughs) Exciting. So that's awesome. And then after that, also just using my voice to help other people find their voice. And I just found like, wow, for example, running the meetup, being able to find people who have a lot of experience, but maybe they They don't necessarily feel comfortable enough to share, but when you actually encourage them and you take the journey with them and then you see them stepping up to do that is really rewarding because... Some of them later came back and gave me feedback. That was that turning point for them. And then now they realized they could even bring those skills. Like one of them was sharing with me that she was in this executive level sort of meeting and everybody had really loud voices. And she was thinking to herself like, okay, something is like, I need to speak up because I'm seeing something that they are not saying. Then she remembered like, you know, her experience in the meetup where she became more confident speaking in a panel and she's like you know I can take it like it's a panel session as well and I can speak and then she decided to just go for it when she opened her mouth and you know it wasn't like a lot of things she had to say it was just a few key things that really changed a lot of people's perspective and she was so amazed at the impact that she had in the room just because she was brave enough to speak and I think it was a yeah male-dominated sort of room but she didn't regret it and she said later on it led to her being able to take that courage as well and go for a job that was actually a very senior job that the old her, in the previous past, she wouldn't have maybe got enough guts to go for it. But this time she decided she's going to go for it. And she ended up getting the job. And now she's uh, like running like a global team, which is incredible. I was like, when I hear such stories, I'm just blown away because it shows like, speaking is not just about public speaking. It's so much more than that. It's actually, you know, you are learning to step up you're also learning to be more courageous and bold and you're used to being uncomfortable outside of your comfort zone and be comfortable in that process of challenging yourself. I think it does wonders. Yeah, you will see it having such an impact in the other aspects of your life as well. So, yeah.
0: So true. That's, thank you for sharing. That's a beautiful story. We love hearing stories like that and hopefully encouraging others Using that tool that we already have our voices in a way that can make an impact as that lady did and and change the course of their life, getting that new job. Yeah, it's really mm-hmm. exciting what we can do. Well, Shermaine, it's been amazing having the opportunity to talk to you. Is is there anything else you you wanted to share? How can people follow you? How do we I'm guessing we can go on YouTube to see your TEDx talk. But yeah, is there is there a way we can find you?
1: Yeah, definitely on LinkedIn, just search for my name. I also run like YouTube sessions and, and podcast sessions, uh, but it's under the Mega C Suite Stories channel. They can check out the Cyber Risk Meetup channel as well. So, yeah, there are various ways to get in touch, you know, if you want to reach out and continue the conversation, definitely.
2: She has just been announced as a finalist for the Women in Security Awards as Australia's Most Outstanding Woman in IT Security.
1: Oh, wow. Congratulations. Okay, I actually have – I didn't know about that. Uh (laughs) Well, I'm just getting the news now.
2: Sorry, I looked on the website and it's there, so – Congratulations.
1: That's pretty so, exciting.
0: So well-deserved, Shemaine. You're incredible.
1: Wow. So happy to see you there. Um, yeah, kind of lossful. <laughs>
2: <laughs> didn't realise it was a surprise, so surprise.
1: Thanks for that. But yeah, wouldn't I wouldn't have made it without like this support of the community, you know, and and people just cheering you on. I think all those things make a lot of difference.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's funny, Louisa and I were just saying today, what we love most about this list of finalists is there are so many new names and new faces. And as women in this industry, it's crazy how many other women on this list, I don't know. So that's what I'm sort of most excited about because we've got this incredible pool of women to keep drawing on when we're looking for speakers.
1: Wow. We are growing definitely. And definitely. Uh, yeah, I think that's exciting time.
0: Well, thanks, Shemaine. It was so so good to chat to you. And I know I'm going to be reading your new book. um, I was about to say, I know I'm getting (laughs) Louisa
2: for Christmas, early Christmas present for Louisa.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I'm in there. Well, thank you. And yeah, hopefully we can speak to you again sometime.
1: Mm, yeah, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation and just also hearing about what you ladies are doing in the industry and just supporting a lot of these women, you know, with the Project Freeman initiative. It's, it's really wonderful. So thank you as well.
0: Thank you. This podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate. For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.